Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Very good. Yeah, it's um, it does feel weird to be getting up here to preach because normally I just get to watch Carrie, which is good. Um, so yeah, thanks for thanks for letting me do this. Um, because I don't do this very often, it does feel really foreign and did definitely come to mind that Richard Roy, one of the things that I love of his that he says is um, that we should all pray for one good humiliation a day. And so hopefully in uh, a little while that prayer will not have been answered, but if it, if it has, then, then that's okay, then God's got something else for me. So, um, But yeah, we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus through our final lens, which is spirituality of descent. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the, the whole lens thing that we're doing where we're just turning scripture and looking at different aspects of it. And they might not all gel with us individually really well, but they hopefully will stretch us and get us to think a little bit differently along the way. And, and yeah, and last week, Rose and Danny, what a gift that was for you guys to share that with us. It was really special. So thank you so much for that. Um, it was, yeah, really, really amazing. So um, it is good. So we're going to we're going to start by reading out the verse again. So Cheryl, good on you, Cheryl. Would you be able to read this out for us? Excellent. Thank you. As Jesus was passing through Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus, one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax-collecting business, and of course a very rich man, tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree beside the road to watch from there. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, for I'm going to be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. He has gone to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, Sir, from now on I will give half my wealth to the poor and if I find I have overcharged anyone on his taxes, I will penalise myself by giving him back four times as much. Jesus told him, This shows that salvation has come to this home today. This man was one of the lost sons of Abraham and I, the Messiah, have come to search for and to save such souls as his. Thanks, Cheryl. So this afternoon we're going to kind of look at at this verse, particularly the idea of Zacchaeus and the tree. So he... He's climbing up this tree and Jesus calls him down from this tree. And the tree and the, um, the, the symbol of that in this story is not an accidental thing. The author of Luke has put that in there intentionally. And so we're going to kind of flesh out a bit of what that might be, might be saying to us. And Zacchaeus 
is a guy who probably wouldn't be out of place in the world that we live in today. He's an ambitious man. He's a man that in circumstances that weren't great for his nation, found a way to be successful and wealthy and that came at the cost not of himself but of his own community and people. And so as we look at the spirituality of descent, we're kind of first going to have a, a bit of a think about Zacchaeus and more so about our world and how the world we exist in is a one that would be very familiar to, to him. So um, the, the spirituality of descent is really a lens that is going to kind of give us a perspective that is counter to the culture and the water that we swim in at the moment that we don't often see um, and that maybe Zacchaeus was blind to at the start of this story in himself as well. So um, I kind of think about this, the culture that we swim in as like we're stuck in the Matrix. Has everyone seen the Matrix? Yeah, so Neo, the main character in the Matrix, Justin Fan, yep, is, um, he's oblivious and everyone is oblivious initially to the system that they're in and we're kind of we're always like that a bit in our own culture. So we're going to explore that a little bit to start with. So the, the main aspects that I want to be thinking about in our culture is really that we exist in a world, in the Western world particularly, that is capitalistic, consumeristic and a materialistic sort of society. Um, and the language that we use around life really shows that. So we are in a world where it's good to be ambitious, it's good to be aspirational, um, our finances should always be on the up. We should be going from a job that pays less to a job that pays more. Even in, like, there's so much through the, the pandemic of, like, language around how is Australia going? How's our economy going? How's our growth rate? But not only do we look at growth rate, we actually look at the rate of growth. So, like, the not just is the economy growing, but how fast is the growing growing? It's, and so we have this whole language around more, more, more that is kind of everywhere around us. And I think we've become so used to it that we don't even really see it. And in our own lives, probably it goes a little bit unnoticed as well. So as we look at this, um, hopefully hopefully we'll see things in ourselves and feel a bit uncomfortable. So I apologise if it, if it does that. That's um, not necessarily the main part of my personality that I like to do that but hopefully I will enjoy the process at the same time. Um, yeah so we have this we have this consumer mentality and there's kind of this thing that happens where we objectify at the reality that we exist in. So we are we take thing everything the world around us and we tend to make objects out of it and just leave ourselves as a subject. So we're the only one that kind of we see as having meaning and perspective and, and we can often just turn other people and other things just into objects around us. I've, I don't know if anyone else has this experience. Every now and then I'll like drive past a big block of units or something like that and just look up at them and go, oh, there's a lot of people that live in there. And it just, I have this weird little mental moment when I'm like, get a bit freaked out because I think about, oh, do they all, they're all like, 
living a life like I'm living a life. And they all like have thoughts. And maybe they drive past buildings and go, oh, there's a whole bunch of other people. Anyway, but it just is this moment when I go, oh, I am so centered in myself as subject and everything else can just become a peripheral object for my consumption and a means to some sort of ends in my life where I'm the center. Um, And so in our world, I think I've got it up here. Yeah, there's this sort of cycle that tends to happen in our consuming of of our world where we desire something, we want something, whether that's an actual thing or an outcome or something to happen. Um, We pursue it, we go after it, we save up for it, we work towards it, whatever it is. And then generally because we're in a nice, comfortable, affluent society where we're all probably in the top 2% of the most wealthy people in the world in this room, we get it pretty much all the time. We, we often get it, particularly if it's a thing. We can normally get to get it. And then inevitably we realise that the thing that we wanted actually doesn't satisfy whatever that need is. So we revert back to the beginning and we desire something else. Or maybe even just a newer iPhone, the, the, the slightly updated version of the thing we desired before. But there's actually this cycle that happens and it's really addictive and it's... For me, I think it's kind of the mechanism that our society lives in, this capitalistic society where it actually banks on the fact that we get some sort of satisfaction in our dissatisfaction of, of this whole cycle. But that's kind of the cycle. And um, we have these three things that we tend to desire, power, prestige and possessions. And so, interestingly, these are also the three things that Jesus was tempted by in the wilderness, but well, that's, a, that's a, something for another day. Um, so, if we flip to the next slide, Annalise, just, just quickly, um, there's a whole bunch of these, these things that um, we can desire. So, firstly, uh, the, the most obvious one really is possessions. We desire stuff, a house, a car, to be living comfortably, uh, Whatever it is, clothes, blah, blah, blah. You can fill in whatever, whatever you want there. That's the kind of the most obvious one. Um, power. Power is a little bit more subtle, but maybe there's some more concrete things like career to be in a position of influence and um, that with our work or maybe a bit more subtly in society to be someone who's revered, looked up to or sits on a board or whatever it is. Um, those are kind of obvious things, but they're probably a bit, because they're obvious, a bit easier to see through as well. But maybe some of these other ones are a little bit more hidden. So sometimes power looks like control. So control within our family, control within a relationship, um, control even just of where our life is going in itself. And we like to have power like that. But often it's maybe we only see that once we start to lose a sense of control when life's not going where we want to or if our relationship is falling apart or getting messy or something like that. And I think that's probably a bit where Zacchaeus found himself as well. He was part of this oppressed people and his world was kind of out of control. The Roman Empire had taken control. And so for him a way that he was able to get control was to move into this position of power and influence and he, ma- he 
re regained some form of control, but obviously that was to the cost of um, his people and probably a lot of his relationships as well. Um, so lastly, the here, prestige, the desire to look good. I feel like this is so prevalent in all our lives, or maybe it's just me, I don't know. Um, but whatever it looks like, fashion, talent, intellect, wisdom, coolness, having it together, whatever it is, I was, I was struck by the fact that as I was thinking about this, um, I'm getting my thoughts down and listening to stuff and reading stuff and then I'm going, oh, I'm doing this talk on spirituality of descent and um, a lot of the thoughts were, oh, is this going to sound really clever when I say this or I want to sound like I really know what I'm talking about and wise. And so even as I'm talking about the very antithesis of this, I'm still wanting to, to look good in front of you all. So... Hopefully I'll have a few voice cracks or something just to break that down as we go. Um, so, and in this, I thought, of, I thought of Zacchaeus as, did anyone ever see the show Keeping Up Appearances? Probably from like the early 90s, late 80s or something like that. And was it Hyacinth Bucket? <laughs> Bouquet. That's right. So she, I feel like she's the epitome of what it means to like be wanting prestige and, and Zacchaeus maybe was a, and we can be a bit like that too. We live in a reality where we're a bucket but we want to be a bouquet. And so um, so that, that's prestige. Um, and so in this kind of cultural water, this matrix is what we swim in. And the interesting and really sad fact is that I think that Christianity and our faith, particularly in recent times, has, rather than giving a real critique to this culture, um, has to a large extent become an, a further expression of it. Um, and so our, the church's spirituality at times has become one that offers satisfaction, real satisfaction, contentment, real genuine contentment, purpose, happiness, even salvation and eternal life. But I think these things have often just been sold as a better, shinier version of the thing that we're all wanting in that cycle that we talked about. So rather than critiquing the system, it's just become, oh, here's the thing that will really satisfy you. Here's what true contentment looks like. And that's actually a little bit hollow. And so we maybe have this spirituality that has been at times in our culture one of reaching out and grabbing, take hold, take hold of it, go forth. Did anyone ever, um, maybe it's just my, my church, that song, I went to the enemy's camp. Did anyone sing that? And I uh, took back what he stole from me. I took back. Oh, there's not enough Pentecostal people in here. Mum and Dad, do you, know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah great song but but it, it, it seemed yeah, that was that was that was golden in the 90s yeah may I don't know why you guys don't know that song that's weird um but, but it was, we have often this spiritually spirituality of taking grabbing seizing going after being disciplined taking the moment and what if what Jesus would be saying to us today is that maybe we need to be embracing a spirituality of rather than grabbing, of letting go. And so that's what the spirituality of descent is kind of inviting us into. And so as I was reading this, I was wondering, 
did Zacchaeus even know that he needed liberating from the system that he was in? Did he even see that he was in the matrix? Did he even realise the cultural water that he was swimming in? And do, the, the same question could be asked of us. Do we even see this stuff that is all around us, that is the world that we exist in? Are we in the matrix and we don't even realise it ourselves? So maybe, like Zacchaeus, we need a Morpheus moment where Jesus comes in and calls our name and says, Zacchaeus, Oren, Jessamy, whoever, come down from the tree. That's the call that he gives to Zacchaeus. And that's the call of a spirituality of descent. And so that's this movement we're invited into is one from going up to stopping that climbing and actually come down because at the foot of the tree is where Jesus is. Um, so, spirituality of descent, what actually is it? It's nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, there's this great idea that, I don't know really where it originally came from, but I know Simone Weil talks about it a bit, this idea that God is nothing. There's something you don't often hear in church. Um, but in a reality where we objectify and turn into objects, everything around us, maybe the concept that God is nothing, that God is no thing, could be really helpful. God is not something that can be turned into another object for our consumption. God is somehow the being that maybe does not exist, but by which everything else exists. These, this is the sort of some of the language of a spirituality of descent. Um, to enter into the nothingness of God. And somehow, in a spirituality of descent, that's what we're called to be falling, falling, falling into that no-thingness that where things are no longer objects for our consumption. Um, so one of, the, one of the people who probably could be called like the, the father of this sort of way of thinking is Meister Eckhart, who is, um, was a couple of years ago, um, a German mystic in the 13th century. He uh, was a mystic, a prophet, uh, a feminist, a philosopher, theologian, lots of, lots of good things. And one of the, probably the key people that started to give us language around some of these ways of thinking. And so he said, the soul does not grow by addition, but by subtraction. The soul does not grow by addition, but by subtraction. It's not more, more, more that actually helps us grow in ourselves. It's actually the letting go and the release of things that helps us grow. Um, and so, Meister Eckhart, he kind of had this fourfold path that he described for his sort of um, disciple, way of discipleship. Um, and the the spirituality of descent he probably called via negativa or it was something like that and it was a core part of his way of thinking um, but it was like not the first step of spirituality it was the sort of second slash third step of his spirituality and the first one was really a groundedness in who we are in God so as I'm talking about sort of some of this letting go and releasing it's not just a blank just like let's let go of everything but it begins with this foundation of who we are in Jesus, who we are in our Creator. And so there's, 
this lovely sort of, he, Meister Eckhart loves to use words like isness and withness and words that aren't words, but they're, they're great. Um, so the, there's a quote from, from Meister Eckhart on the next slide, I think Annalise, um, or a poem really. It says, Apprehend God in all things, for God is in all things. Every single creature is full of God and is a book about God. Every creature is a word of God. If I spent enough time with the tiniest creature, even a caterpillar, I would never have to prepare a sermon. So full of God is every creature. Clearly should have spent more time with caterpillar and I wouldn't have to be here right now. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I love that though. I love that idea of just the fullness of God in all of God's creation. And so that's kind of the starting point for, for Meister Eckhart, um, that he starts with that. And then he moves us towards the no-thingness, the emptiness, the surrender. And so on the, on the next slide, think of the soul as a vortex or a whirlpool and you will understand how we are to sink eternally from negation to negation into the one and how we are to sink eternally from letting go to letting go into God. And that's the, that's the spirituality of descent, is this idea of not grasping, but of sinking, of letting go. And somehow that's not uh, letting go into despair or into depression or into some sort of depravity or anything like that. It is somehow the letting go becomes falling into God. Do I have another one up there, Annalise? Yes, I do. More Meister Eckhart for us all. Um, And so this is that falling. So there, where clinging to things ends, is where God begins to be. If a cask is to contain wine, you must first pout. You You must first pour out the water. The cask must be bare and empty. Therefore, if you wish to receive divine joy and God, first pour out your clinging to things. Everything that is to receive must and ought to be empty. So the movement we're invited to here is one from grabbing, one from grasping. Richard Raw would say one from willfulness to one of willingness, to letting go. But that can feel really so foreign to us in our world where we are so used to grabbing and striving and pushing and being disciplined and taking hold of things and seizing the things that should be us. Um, As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of um, Princess Bride quote, Princess Leia, she's talking to Darth Vader, I think, and she says, this is in A New Hope, she says, Oh, yeah. Princess Bride quote, sorry. Star Wars quote. Um, everything is the Princess Bride with me. <laughs> everything. Somehow this is also a Princess Bride quote. No, in Star Wars, Princess Leia 
talking to Darth Vader, and she says, the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. It's this great moment, and it's so, so relevant for our culture, is that the more we try and grab hold of something, even star systems, as we want to do, um, the more we try and grab them, the more it's like grabbing water, and they just are slipped and gone. Um, and so we are trying to strive, strive, strive towards something that we can't actually get. And C.S. Lewis would say, even about happiness, that happiness can't actually be attained directly. That happiness cannot be attained directly. It's only obtained accidentally or by the going around that happiness is attained. Um, and that sort of exposes the lie of the world that we live in, I think, that that idea from C.S. Lewis is that we are told, it's like the American liberty of the pursuit of happiness. We're told that we can pursue, we can go after the things that are going to make us happy. But the truth is that the pursuit of those things is never going to actually make us happy. And the only way probably to be happy is to not be striving after happiness itself. It's to be obtaining it on the way to other things as we orbit somehow around, around that um, so maybe instead of offering to give us true contentment or our faith offering to give us real satisfaction or real happiness, maybe what our spirituality should be doing is actually liberating us from the pursuit of, the, of that. So instead of saying, no, he, here's what will actually make you happy, as good as that sounds, maybe the, what we should be thinking is, Actually, I don't need to be on this treadmill, on this, um, what's the ferret wheel, going round and around in a pursuit of something that I'm never going to obtain. Maybe our spirituality should somehow liberate us from that. And that's what a spirituality descent is hopefully allowing us to do. Um, Richard Rohr says that we need to be freed from the love of the world so we can truly love the world somehow in letting go of those things that we want, we actually get a truer, more beautiful version of that along the way. And so as we're thinking about this, just to kind of make it a little bit more um, concrete in our, in our thinking, part of how I've come to think about the spiritual journey generally over the last, I don't know, while... Um, is that there's kind of this, this, the inner path that we walk and there's the outer path that we do. And so we have this kind of inner journey of stuff that's going on inside us, in our ego, in our soul, in our minds. And then we have like just the stuff that we actually do, how we live our lives. But the transition and the, and the junction of those things is not clean, it's messy. And if we ever try and just live in the, the abstract ideas in inner world but our outer world never changes, then that's not good. And neither can we just purely live in the practical hands and feet, but also our inner world needs transforming. And so it has to be kind of both. And I think one should inevitably inform the other. And it can go kind of in both directions, depending on who you are. Some people will love to learn and to have those inner processes, their mind and their soul kind of... Um, inspired and then that will outwork into their lives and other people will love to get in and make stuff happen 
and then somehow in the doing, which is a much more probably Jewish way of actually living, somehow the doing becomes the learning internally. So it can kind of, it's messy, but, um, but I thought just to make us, help us think about some of this, I've got a bit of a table up here of the inner and the outer world. So I've called this a life of ascent, which is kind of the world that we often live in. So the inner world of a life of ascent can look like a gaining of a sense of superiority and then inevitably the protecting of that sense of superiority, judgment of others, ego, our self as center, um, establishing self-worth by separating ourselves from others, holding on to control and then image somehow of ourselves as being something that's important. And then, oh, I had some emojis there. <laughs> Pursuit of money was there was like those little, um, you know, the emoji with the, the dollar signs as eyes. That's what that was. Um, <laughs> comfort, possession, security, the stuff we already talked about. Um, sometimes those are obvious things. Sometimes they're subtle things. So those are, yeah, the, the life of ascent. But the life or the spirituality of descent gives us a different set that contrasts those things. And so you might... Um, be challenged by different ones of these in different ways. The idea of moving towards humility, letting go is that key action um, of the need to compare or compete, openness to others, love of God at the centre, which expresses itself as love of other, choosing trust, and rather than image, somehow substance, the unseen being the important thing. And then... The outer world is transformed as well because we choose the path of generosity. We actively choose less, whether that's money or stuff or whatever it is. Truth, justice, generosity are preferenced over our own comfort. It might look like a simplicity of existence and it might look somehow in tangible ways like letting go of stuff or surrendering to different things in life. Um, so as, as I kind of begin to move towards the end, I just I thought I'll talk a bit about what some of my journey has been like in, in some of this. Not that for this I've known a lot of this language, but it's been part of what I've walked for prob- probably mainly in the last 10 years. So um, in t- end of 2009, 2010 was when um, Alan Sherrill actually came and talked to to Carol and I about whether um, taking on the leadership of Central was going to be something that we wanted to do. wasn't really. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, but it w- so that, that was the start of the journey of Ka- Carolyn slash us running the church and the, and the start of a tricky time probably for me in terms of my own inner journey with my own wrestle of of myself because um, Carolyn is the amazing leader of our church and I'm kind of the helpful sideshow. Um, but that doesn't feel good for my ego to be the pastor's wife um, to, because my ego wants to look smart, to feel important, um, to have people see me as something special, to look like I've got it all together, to... Um, to be in charge, to have a sense of control that's within me, whether that's of church stuff 
or whether that's even just in our own family, and we've got this cultural narrative, oh, the man has to wear the pants. That's what we're told. And in fact, I, I remember at several different times in our marriage and in leading the church, that being stated to me and being called by people, oh, you're, you're the pastor's wife or whatever. And like, always just jokingly, but there was a bit of that that really that stung the ego part of me that still wanted and thought that somehow power and that position should be mine. And so it was, a large part of me also knew that that wasn't what should happen. But you know how sometimes our logic and the way we actually respond to things can be separated. So that was kind of what my wrestle was for, for a few years, really, and probably still is from time to time in, in ways. Um, and so... Yeah, at different times, this would play out because I would be wanting to make decisions that just because I because that's something I should be able to do, um, and I would feel the absence of of that kind of feeling important. Like particularly if we were we might be ha- you know having dinner with um, leaders from a few other churches or something like that, and we'd be in conversation and they'd be so orange me. And Caro is Al. And, and, and this makes sense, doesn't it? I really should have just gone over there. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so we'd be in this conversation and I'd kind of be leaning in, you know, engaging in conversation. That's you, Oren. And, but I, I would feel like the conversation would just be like over here and they'd be having great conversation and then every now and then I'd be like sort of just saying something and... I felt like this ignored presence and my ego was just raging inside me going, I'm here, I'm here. I felt like Harry Potter when he's been ignored. This is again in The Princess Bride, right? Um, <laughs> he'd been ignored by, by Darth Vader. No, he'd been ignored by, by Dumbledore for this, all of this, one of the movies. And at, at the, at, towards the end of the movie, he just, he, like Dumbledore's just been ignoring him for fear of something and he just says, look at me! and he yells at Dumbledore and that's kind of what I would feel like in these conversations I'm like hello I'm here I'm someone important too and so yeah obviously I've had a few issues around this um but so part of my journey in in the last 10 years and particularly probably the first half of that was to firstly see how much my ego was at play and how much I was wanting power prestige people to think well of me and so to firstly understand that it was there and then slowly somehow in some sort of process to let go of that and to like Master Eckhart talked about to let go to let go and to fall into God and so that kind of has been I mean it sounds really good now but it's not been that clear a process but somehow along the way I've learnt that to be ignored um to not look like I've got my crap together all the time, to be okay with not being important, somehow to embrace those ideas has actually become a really good thing for me. And they all sound really negative. Um, but somehow in the embracing of those things, I have found myself closer to my creator. And somehow in the letting go of that stuff that I really wanted to, I've actually found myself more at home in myself. 
And also, ironically, well, not ironically, it makes sense really, I've actually been able to now celebrate how freaking amazing Caro is at what she does. And she's up here doing, doing, this, doing this stuff and leading and having uh, uh, ideas and creativity and taking us to great places. And I am so much more free to celebrate the gifts and the goodness that God has given her because I'm not trying to somehow grab and attain that for myself. So that's been a, yeah, it's been messy and it still probably is outplaying at times. Um, so that's, that's one place where, where I've been journeying with this and continue to journey. And there's lots of other ways. There's probably other external ways that I'm wrestling and trying to walk a path of descent as well. But we won't um, have time for all of those things today. So to, to kind of close us out, I'm going, I want to just give you guys a chance to think about this. I'm going to challenge you and then I'm going to retract my challenge. That's my plan. Um, so, so this is the question. What if Jesus is calling you to climb down from your tree, to descend into the nothingness, the no-thingness of God. And I feel like the magic moment in that story is where Jesus calls out Zacchaeus' name. It reminds me of when Jesus calls out to Mary when she's in the garden after he's come back to life. There's just this something that's incredibly special about seeing the divine call to us that does something that wakes us up. And so that's maybe the moment that I want to invite you into now is that Jesus might be calling your name, the divine calling to you um, to wake up and to see the matrix, see the water that you're swimming in. Um, And so I just want to get you to think quickly about where in your inner world the things inside you do you need to let go? And where in your outer world, where in the practicality of how you live your life, could you be walking a path of less or a path of simplicity or of generosity, of letting go of things rather than grabbing things? Can you respond to that call of Jesus calling your name to climb down from the tree? And what would he be calling you to climb down out of? And so I think with, with those things in mind, we're going to take communion together as a way of you having some time to sit with some of that and to or stand with some of that um, so this is this is what we do. I think we'll we'll take communion and just as as we do it, just let some of those ideas marinate in you. Maybe as I talked, that maybe there's just different things that jumped out to you that might have been uncomfortable, or maybe they were exciting. The idea of letting go of something, um, but just let those things um, sit with you. And yeah, and we'll come up. Um, Oren, maybe can you can you do the the bread for us? Oh. <laughs> Not Oren. <laughs> Not Oren. Thanks, Carrie. Um, so, yeah, come on up. Grab, grab your, um, your bread and your...
port is over on this side and juice is here. And then hold onto them and just come. And maybe we'll kind of just all stand around in a circle-ish thing. Um, and so hold onto them and then we'll, we'll take them together at the end. But communion is a very outward way of responding to what Jesus is doing. And so that's the invitation today as we come and do this is to be able to respond by eating some of Sophie's delicious baking. Thanks, Soph. Um, yeah, so come on down. Think, think and ponder on those things as, as you come down to get communion and then we'll take it together at the end. And so I said I'd kind of retract my challenge and so that, that's, that's this bit. Because um, I'm aware that to just make a spirituality of descent, to make that idea another thing that we need to do or something to strive for is a classic example of missing the point of the whole thing. So I wanted us to, to genuinely engage and think about those things where we might be challenged. But also the idea of this lens that we can see this story through is not to give us more things to strive towards or to try and do, but we can't actually make those things happen. It is a posture of life where we are open and like I said, that Richard Rohr said, that move from willfulness to willingness to an embrace of life and of God and of all that God might have for us. And particularly, I think, as we take communion, it's pertinent to think about that metaphor of emptiness, that we're about to take Jesus physically into ourselves. And so may we be people that empty ourselves so that we can receive more of God. And so rather than particularly sending, sending us all off with goals of things we need to, to get rid of and undo and let go of, I think those things naturally will come along in life if we have a posture of being open to letting go and surrendering and emptying ourselves, then that's the process that is good for us. Um, and th- that this poem here, feel free to read through this. I won't read it again. But as you take communion, you might like to just look at those words of moving towards emptiness so that we can find God, so that we can let go and fall into God, surrender, to lose ourselves somehow, but find God and then actually find ourselves in the process. So may we be empty so that we can know God and have God fill us with all of his goodness not the things that we strive for in ourselves Amen Thanks for listening if you want to check out more about Central visit us at centralchurch.org.au music by Chris D'Souza a beloved member of Central (laughs) Ha ha ha